0: the markets. We just can't get enough of them.
1: Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy.
0: Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost.
1: I am Mohammed Nalla of MoKnows.com.
0: Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.
1: Welcome to Magic Markets.
0: Homes, cars, collectibles, you have sophisticated needs when it comes to insurance. So make sure you get bespoke insurance cover. Elite Risk Acceptances has you covered. Part of the old mutual group of companies, they are backed by over 180 years of insurance expertise. Visit EliteRisk.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 16 of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost, as ever joined by my co-host, friend, and uh, these days Canadian who still has to work his life around load shedding because unfortunately for him, he records this podcast with me. That is Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com.
1: Hello, Mo. Ghost, lovely to be on the show, and like we said the last time we had to do this, you know, load shedding follows you regardless of where you are in the world, so uh, we will bend our our schedules to make sure that we can get this podcast in time for our listeners.
0: Exactly, and it's not just us, I mean, I saw Tesla's building a big uh, battery, basically, for want of a better word, outside Houston, I think, so Texas have their own energy problems which made me feel better I'll be honest a little bit of you know, laughing at someone else's expense you know what else can we do with load shedding we either laugh or we cry Um you're not wearing your blue hoodie today you're wearing a blue something but it's not a hoodie so it must be a bit warmer there which is nice and today we're talking about specs. and you know if you were going to raise a spec, I'm sure it would be the blue hoodie fund and, and hopefully you would do something cool like come and buy the finance ghost at a revenue multiple of you know preferably three thousand and uh, we can pump that valuation, get others to buy in those shares, take a nice management deal, buy a few warrants and that 's kind of how specs work right isn 't it you know just tongue in cheek
1: <laughs> tongue in cheek I mean what are you talking about uh, specs let's let 's maybe rewind a little bit ghost I mean for those listeners who aren 't familiar with the terminology, spec stands for special purpose acquisition company and i mean it's it 's a long, fancy word I guess, or, or phrase. But effectively, in a nutshell, what it is, is that it's an easy way for a company that's looking at a listing to effectively get itself listed on, on a boss without going through the normal jumping of the hoops of an initial public offering. Uh, so how does this happen? A spec is basically a company that's set up uh, before they actually have anything to invest in, which is beautiful. In in, in the finance ghost, we still have something to invest in. Uh, a a spec is something where... You basically put your money into this investment vehicle on the understanding that the founders and sponsors, normally very well connected people, will take that money and then they've got, they, they take that, they list it in an entity. So now it's a listed cash shell, if you want to call it that, on whichever market you're on, US, JSE. Uh, and then they have two years to go and take your money and find some very interesting acquisitions to make. And so it's effectively using that cash shell to reverse list a company onto, a, a, onto its respective exchange.
0: It gets a lot of attention on Twitter, doesn't it? Because celebs end up putting their names to these things. I mean, we now live in a world where Lindsay Lohan has an opinion on crypto and and Mia Khalifa has an opinion on stocks and, you know, enough said on that topic. And we now have other celebs who are promoters of SPACs. Uh, What is going on out there? Is is it really just a game for influencers to go and raise money now? Is that where we've got into in this
1: market? I think it's it's definitely a symbol of a market that's running very hot. I mean, in in the past, you'd kind of track how many IPOs or initial public offerings were coming to market as a temperature gauge on the on the market, and IPOs are are still high on the list. Uh, but I think, you know, when people start getting frustrated with, oh, you know, to, to actually go and list your company on the exchange, there are lots of rules. We can get into that shortly. Uh, a spec is an easy way for guys to say, well, here's something, it's a cash shell. Let's reverse list ourselves into this and get to market even quicker. You're 100% right. You've got all sorts of people, uh, you know, basically putting their names behind specs. Some people are, are respected market, uh, you call them celebrities if you want to call it that, you know, fairly high profile people. Uh, like for example, Pershing Square have have, have a spec of their own. You've got, uh, as you mentioned, Chamath Pitya. Well done, mate. You've
0: been practicing That's the last that. time
1: I'm going to say his name. <laughs> but you know he's got a, a spec called Social Capital, and he's he's reverse listed a couple of interesting companies. Not haven't done that well. But you know you've got big names here. You've got Richard Branson. You've got Bill Gates. All in this spec space. So you're going to find the good. You're going to find the bad. It's pretty much like any market, and we can unpack that. And and I bet you that there are listeners out there right now that are invested in companies that use the spec route to come onto the respective exchanges and they just aren't aware that those were specs that they had kind of invested in once those companies had gone public.
0: And Mo, if I may have a geeky corporate finance uh, session for a bit and just talk about what these specs really are from a listings rules perspective, you know, and what makes them unique. So you've really talked about how they come to market and they actually don't have anything. And that's exactly right. And we have the same structure on the JC. They launched it a few years ago and the JC has been a very cold market in stark contrast to the NASDAQ, which has been red hot. So there's been very few, if any, I can't even think of a listing on the JSC recently, honestly. I think the last big one was Disc I I can't think of one since then. And, you know, the SPACs, there weren't many of them. I think there were about five who came to market, you know, a few years back. And basically what they do is they come and they raise money on the promise of going and buying something. And it works here, it sounds like, in a very similar way to there. they basically got two years to go and buy uh, what is defined as a viable asset. If you go and read the JSC listings requirements, which is over 400 glorious pages, if you ever find yourself wanting to read that, it's not as lame as it sounds. It actually is relatively interesting. If you care about the market, there are some sections in there that'll actually teach you a lot. But anyway, they go and they, they find a viable asset and they ask shareholders nicely if they can buy it. The money sits in trust for those for that period of time between listing and actually finding the asset and once they've bought a viable asset it's no longer a spec it's actually fulfilled its goal to go and buy something and now it just carries on as a you know a normal company and to give the listeners an idea of the size so if you want to list a spec on the JSE if you go into the Altex which is our development board uh, you need to raise 50 million rand if you go onto the main board, you need to raise 500 million rand. Now, these are tiny numbers in a global context. These days, to raise that kind of money on the JSC is not so easy because the institutional investor base is very scared and have been burned hard by hot markets, of which property is another really good example. But a couple of good examples of SPACs that have actually done quite well here. Renogen is one, so it's a helium and natural gas business. They've had a banning year in the share price. They've had a really good year to date as well. Just this week, they announced that they uh, you know, their exploration in the Virginia area of the free state has unveiled even more helium than they thought. So it's quite a funny gas to go and make money with, obviously, but they make a lot of money. Helium's used in a lot more than just balloons. And then the other one is Capital Appreciation Group is is relatively interesting, a bit of a fintech business focused on payments infrastructure and software. But I mean, on the whole, the specs haven't really shot the lights out on the JC. And the reason people do it is it's just so much easier to list. So if you want to come and list a company in the traditional sense, you know, you've got to come to market either already with a lot of money or with a really strong profit history. So you either need to have three years worth of audited profits of 15 million rand a year, you know, or you need to have 500 million rand capital and, and a business that you own and, and meets the listings requirements and everything else. It's much harder. The SPAC is a nice, easy way to come to market, raise money and make promises about going and buying stuff. And that's the appeal overseas as well, isn't it? It's no different in the US market.
1: Yeah, it's 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 pretty much the same structure. I mean, you correctly mentioned, Ghost, that, you know, specs have been around on the J C for quite some time. You know, I casting my mind back, I, I think we could go back to probably 2015, then thereabouts, when you know, I first started seeing specs coming to, to market down in, in the JSE, uh, some of them haven't done so well. So, for example, there's, there's a company called Hulisani, which started out as a spec uh, and at around 15 rands and now trades at around a you know a buck fifty. So, you know, it's all not good news, it's all not bad news. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned capital appreciation, uh, I, I stand corrected. I think Patrice Motsepi was one of the, the, the founders of that particular group. So, again, I think you know, there is that strong tie up of having a strong personality, a sponsor, uh, and that buys you. Remember, if you're giving your money into a cash shell, you're basically backing that team. It's very similar to private equity and we can go into how it differs from from private equity quite shortly, but it's very similar to private equity where you're kind of putting your money into this vehicle. It's a listed vehicle. They then go out, they find the right deals. You're trusting that they're not going to overpay for those deals. And then the only main difference i guess between for me at least between a private equity investment and a spec is that the one is on a listed market so it allows retail investors to go out there find the ticker buy it into your brokerage account and you know you are playing all of a sudden and again the theory is this you're playing with the big boys i mean just by, by by in terms of quantum for this year alone and i mean we're we're basically just in march but for this year alone the number in the U.S. is around 64 billion dollars that has been raised through specs, uh, and that's over the course of a couple of months. That's almost 50 percent of all of the IPOs in the U.S. last year. So that's showing you how this has really become quite hyped up. Uh, there is a reason for this: is that the emergence of the retail investor means that the market's really hot. There's a lot of interest, and so if you can start to entice people into this, some of these specs have gone from starting off at around $10, that's where they all start here in the US, then they explode. And let's let's use a bad example. Let's use something like Nikola, who didn't even have an electric car. You know, they just rolled something down the hill. But Nikola started at $10, because they all started at $10. It explodes all the way up to $80, and it's now down to 16 So if you're the guy gone in at $80, bad for you. If you are the guy who got in at 10, and remember, in a SPAC, you've got your founders and your sponsors who get in before everyone else, and they also get an upside participation or or free equity, free carry, very similar to some of your private equity structures. Those guys are still in the money. And so there's the big question mark of, is a SPAC just another vehicle to exacerbate the gap between insiders and outsiders? Because a lot of people are starting to see it that way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and I'll double check the Patrice Montsepe reference. I wasn't sure that he's in cap appreciation. I'll, I'll I'll make sure before we release this podcast that we know the answer. We'll take a friendly bet on this. But one thing he definitely is in is arc. Editor's note: Mo was right. Mo is always right. I shouldn't be taking friendly bets against him. I just want to talk to the difference between specs and the sort of permanent capital investment structures, because it's really hard to understand from the outside. Like, what is the difference between a SPAC and, for example, Lawn for Life, which was brought to market by Brian Joffe, or the Ethos portfolio, or for that matter, African Rainbow Capital. And the difference here is that the SPAC arrives with literally nothing. It is a blank check company. There's nothing in there. It is a shell that money is injected into, and they go off and they buy stuff. Something like Lawn for Life listed under section 15 of the listings requirements, which is for investment entities. And what that means is that it is a lighter set of rules than the sort of normal main board listing, but it requires the founders, the promoters to have put the money in themselves and to arrive at market with a big number. And it's about 500 million rand if you want to list under, you know, under those specific rules. And basically what it allows people to do is build what's called a permanent capital vehicle uh, for investments on the exchange. And what's cool with that is that The reason it's called permanent capital is unlike private equity, where it's often a closed-end fund that lasts, say, seven years, then they have to sell all the assets, unwind it, and return the money to shareholders. The way these funds work is if the shareholder wants a liquidity event, that shareholder can just go and sell the shares on the JSE. So the great thing about that is, for example, Lawn for Life has gone and bought Sorbet, Sportsman's Warehouse, there's a beverages business in there, and they don't need to sell that stuff now. They can go and hold it for the rest of time if they want to, because shareholders who want to get out can just go and sell the shares and actually at the moment that share price is is quite depressed obviously like like most have been on the JSC it's down from where it started and they're busy doing a whole lot of share buybacks to try and give some share price support so you know it's, it's important for investors to try and understand these different types of structures where promoters of assets are trying to bring those assets to market and to also understand stuff like management incentivization you know that's the, the gap between the outsiders and insiders as well is what is the management team making out of this and it's been a big bugbear for African rainbow capital in particular, the remuneration structure there has caused or is certainly part of the reason why there is a really big discount to the net asset value, which is another concept that's worth discussing actually. The discount to net asset value is a situation that is common in investment holding companies where if you add up all of the underlying assets, let's say it adds up to a billion rand, you will often find the company's traded valuation is only 700 million rand and it's sitting at a 30% discount to NAV. Now part of that is because of you know, the management layer of costs sitting at the top, it's because investors don't always have complete line of sight into what's going on under there. They can't always get their cash out. It's always a little bit opaque, You're like what's going on with the money? Where's it going? And it's a little bit of an issue that is plaguing even the biggest companies. So Naspass, Process, you read anything about Naspass and all the rage is about discounts and net asset value. And these specs are, are very vulnerable to that as well, right?
1: Yeah, so you know, I almost look at them differently. So if, if we rewind a little bit, if you go to, for example, these permanent capital companies, or you go to private equity holdings, like you say, in private equity there's a there should be a defined exit. It's a seven year time period, and then they wind up the fund. In permanent uh, permanent capital companies. It's a portfolio of assets potentially that you're holding, but into perpetuity. And like you say, if you require the liquidity, you go and sell. You go and sell your shares. Uh, those, like investment hold calls, effectively trade at the discount to NAV. That's the main issue there. For me, specs are somewhat of a, a hybrid in that it's not a portfolio of assets that you're necessarily buying. It's a particular company, and that is why you know I want to almost separate that because, like I said to you, there's some stocks that have found their way to the market here through a, a spec. Uh, structure and one that swings to mind is, is something called DraftKings, and you know that went from ten dollars, which is your spec kind of listing price, to around uh, you know sixty-seven at the high end, but it did dip down to thirty-five in the interim, so very volatile. But that's probably one of your success stories. But what you're now buying is you're buying the underlying business. You're going to be buying Virgin Galactic. You're going to be buying you know, you know WeWork, for example, was something that considered an IPO and considering a spec. So again, you know, there's lots of these good as well as bad bad examples. Uh, in terms of the... the, the Management incentives, it's a very important point that you bring up because in the private equity or permanent capital companies, there's there's an ongoing drag, I guess, if you want to call it that. It's sometimes management fees, uh, incentives, and so forth. With regards to the spec, there's usually a structuring fee. So, for example, there's a fee up front of we've put the spec together, and that could be around 3%. Uh, and then when they actually make the acquisition, there's maybe another 3% that you bleed uh, at that point in time. So, even though it lists at $10, remember that there's the free carry that you're giving to the founders and the sponsors. And there's also this fee bleed means that technically, whilst it's trading at 10, that your inherent value, your nav of that spec on day one, before any acquisition is made, is very likely below that $10 and only gets unlocked in time if they put a good company in it one last point I just wanted to raise as well is that investors need to be very sensitive because like I say, they might be holding stocks now that came to market through a spec structure. And why I say they need to be sensitive or aware of it is that a lot of times those spec structures have lock-in periods for the founders, for the sponsors. And when those lock-in periods expire, you're likely going to see a fair amount of stock come into the market as those people exit some of their holdings. Uh, as again, you mentioned the liquidity event, and that could put tremendous pressure and may even explain why you see these, these spec listings, once there's even a good company in there, come under some substantial price pressure. And sometimes
0: it's not a good company that goes in there, isn't it? I think it's CCIV. They bought Lucid, another EV. I mean, we called it hey on that show we did on Tesla. We said, if Tesla carries on running like this, the market is going to be absolutely flooded with electric vehicle companies, imitation specialists looking for the capital that falls off the edge of the table once Tesla's full. And that's exactly, exactly, exactly what has happened. And they're all doing it via SPACs because it's quick. And they can rock up there and make promises about one day we'll sell a car. Don't worry about it. We have no profit history, but it's all good. If it's a car with a battery, everyone wants to pay a zillion X for it. I mean, you know my views on Tesla. It's quite facetious, but um, you know that share price is all over the place. So I think it was the Lucid acquisition and then it was CCIV share price that just fell off a cliff afterwards because shareholders were not so stoked about that, were they?
1: Yeah, in fact, you know, there's there's a website you can go to. I don't have it on hand now, but you can basically go and see all of these specs that have come to market. You can see, you know, what are the warrants or optionality that's built into some of them. You can look at the price action as well and you can see, you know, this massive volatility. So again, it's not for the faint at heart. I just, my big fear is that as these things migrate into the retail space. We've spoken about democratization of markets. There will definitely be an asymmetry of information. And I think that's something that has been there in the past. You've got institutional investors versus retail investors. Now you've got this asymmetry between founders and sponsors of SPACs and retail investors. And it's always the retail investor who's Quite eager to jump in, but doesn't necessarily educate themselves, and that's exactly why we're discussing this on the show today. Is that you know just go out there, educate yourself, really understand what you're putting your money in. It's it's very enticing and seductive when you see a share price going and rocketing through the roof. Everyone thinks they're going to get rich in these instances, and I I want to put a caveat out there. I'm not saying I dislike specs. I think specs are a remarkably powerful tool for people to come to market in an easy way and actually be a constructive force in terms of democratizing markets. And let's look at it from a South Africa-specific perspective because I, I wrote a bit about this in the, the money marketing magazine where I, I had the cover story. of speaking about South Africa, where investments in South Africa can really start to turn or move the needle. And SPACs, for example, would be a phenomenal vehicle for South African infrastructure investments to start getting listed on the exchange and allowing the everyday retail investor access to some of these projects and investments that have thus far only been reserved for institutional investors and large pension funds.
0: And often some of the best assets in South Africa now are just changing hands in the private equity space because it is just so unattractive to come to market. And it's such a pity. It's a big issue on the JSE. We're seeing fewer and fewer companies every year. There haven't been many listings and all the good stuff is changing hands privately. And it's, it's a real pity. It means that, uh, you know, the retail investors are not are not able to participate. There's one more point I want to make before we start to wrap up, Mo, given that, uh, you know, don't really know what time the electricity is going to go off. Um, and that is that I think investors also need to be careful of signs of a frothy market. I mean, we did it on a show, a couple of shows ago, where we talked about how you look at the fear and greed indices and all of that, uh, VIX, not VIX. And stuff like specs are a great indicator that a market is hot because it's easy money. It's coming in and saying, you, know, you won't list a spec unless you are convinced that someone is going to throw hundreds of millions of pick a currency at you and and let you go off and do acquisitions. And that just doesn't happen in a market where there is fear. It happens in a market where there is greed. So in many ways, it's actually an indicator of a market that is a little bit hot and Something that I found really interesting in the last year with all these IPOs and everything else was how Warren Buffett managed to get in on the Snowflake IPO. But go and look at the details of that and you will see that he got in at a phenomenal price. So he helped to give that IPO a really good smell to it. You know, it was like, well, Warren Buffett's invested, it must be interesting. But he did it at a wonderful price. So even though the IPO, you know, was probably too hot, the point is he got in so low that the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders are gonna do okay out of it. And those are the sort of, it's, it's just interesting to see the worlds collide. Warren Buffett, the most traditional investor you could ever find, and a snowflake IPO of this hot tech company. It's just interesting to see how the markets have developed, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I, you raise a very uh, valid point, is that we discussed fear and greed indicators. And you could look at IPOs and specs and all of this as a, as a risk flag to say, markets are super hot. On your Warren Buffett point, that really underlines and highlights the points of insiders versus outsiders. I mean, even whether it's a spec, whether it's a private placement where a company is able to place a large chunk of stock at a discounted price for a very large, maybe sometimes institutional investor, or in this case, Warren Buffett, that gives the guys with deep pockets and good connections and edge over the retail investor, uh, and unfortunately, I mean, even with with a lot of these things, you know, in the U.S., if you want to get in before the IPO, before the listing, you've got to be an accredited investor here, here up in, in North America, and I think that means you've got to have a million dollars worth of investable assets, excluding your home, uh, before you can even start to play in this space. So, you know, I think those are definitely trends that people need to be wary of, uh, and again, I think. The answer here is education, education, education. Don't just go out there and buy stuff because someone's tweeting about it. Go out there and actually have a look and say, what is the business? Even if, it, if it's going to market through an IPO, and today while we're recording this, waiting for Roblox to to, to, to have its IPO, uh, I steer away from IPOs because there's just so much hype. I might love the business, but I might just not wanna get into all of that hype uh, and get carried uh, get, get carried away. Maybe that limits my returns. But the the important thing here is education. If someone's just tweeting about it and the line's just going up in a straight line, that's not how you build an investment case. That's not how you build an investment strategy. Uh, This is about long-term sustainable wealth creation. And I I guess that's kind of the, the message I wanna leave listeners with, is be very clear in your head in terms of what is your strategy, how are you gonna execute that, and then stay the course and really Push back against being swept up into the hype because you know what they always say is if, if you're at the poker table and you don't know who the fool is at the poker table it's you so yeah i guess that's that's a nice way to wrap up uh, the show goes from from my side is just listeners go out there do your due diligence before you, you you part with your hard-earned money
0: yep risk management and a nod to our sponsor of the show elite risk acceptances that can help you with a lot of your risks but i'm afraid your investment risk is not one of them so speak to them about your insurance but Get yourself into an investor report if you want to manage your risk uh, from an investment perspective. Mo, Blue Hoodie Capital, that's it for tonight. Uh, I look forward to uh, you listing a back one day when we're big and buying the finance ghost. But until that day, we'll just hope for electricity.
1: Ghost, until then, we're going to actually put magic markets into a spec, And we want all our listeners to give us tons of their money. And then we'll find an acquisition to make for them.
0: There we go. And the acquisition will be the finance ghost. You see, it's easy. It's easy, Mo. There's nothing difficult about this all right that's it for this episode of magic markets thank you mo thank you to our listeners you know what to do give the podcast a rating share it with your mates and thank you for listening homes cars collectibles you have sophisticated needs when it comes to insurance so make sure you get bespoke insurance cover elite risk acceptances has you covered part of the old mutual group of companies they are backed by over 180 years of insurance expertise visit eliterisk.co.za to find out more. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.